I'd like you to check out this quote. This is a quote that is probably familiar to some of you and maybe new to others. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. St. Augustine wrote these words a little more than 1,600 years ago in his autobiographical work, Confessions. Augustine was telling his story, his journey from being a man who was separated from God, distant from Jesus. If you read the Confessions, he shares some pretty intense, interesting stories about how crazy his life was before Jesus. But then he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and he begins to live his life for Jesus in all ways and in all manners, to the degree that he becomes probably the most influential theologian in all of history, maybe just beside the Apostle Paul himself. It's in these words that Augustine captures the truth of the human condition. We are a restless people. Restlessness and longing are universal traits of the human heart. You know what I mean. Just look around. You notice, and as you look and as you observe people in your lives, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, you see the restlessness and you see the longing. People are searching for fulfillment and they're searching for satisfaction, and there's multiple ways that people pursue these goals. Some people, some people seek after money. They work and work to try to accumulate more and more money, thinking that if they just have a little more money, they'll be satisfied. Others scheme and scheme, trying to acquire more and more power. Because if you have more power, it's going to lead to more control. And if you have more control, certainly then you'll experience satisfaction. Other people try drugs, alcohol, weed, heroin, meth, all in attempt, just a little more. If I just have a little more, then I'll be satisfied. Others pursue sexual experiences. Some even believe they identify by their sexuality, and if I identify by my sexuality, then I'm going to experience some level of satisfaction in my life. More and more. And if I just get a little bit more, then I'll be satisfied. There's others who just live lives of quiet desperation, hoping that the satisfaction and fulfillment will come just tomorrow, maybe the next day. In any case, the restlessness and the longing are part of our lives. Look at how Isaiah puts it. Isaiah writes, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Jeremiah says it this way. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Isaiah identifies a hunger and Jeremiah a thirst. They acknowledge the restlessness and the longing of life. They acknowledge that there is a hunger and thirst in many people. And if we can be honest with each other this morning, there's a hunger and thirst in us as well. There's often a restlessness and a longing in each one of us. The grass is always greener someplace else. It's not just my neighbor or my coworker. 
It's you and it's me. We often have this deep restlessness and longing in the depths of our hearts in our souls, thinking there has to be more, seeking satisfaction and seeking fulfillment. But what if I told you that's a good thing? It is. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because God himself has placed that restlessness and that longing in your heart and in your soul. God has put that there and he has put that restlessness and he's put that longing in your heart and your soul. He has made you hungry and he has made you thirsty so that you will turn to him to satisfy that hunger and that thirst. God has a plan, and part of that plan is to make you restless and to make you long for more so that you will seek him. The tragedy, though, is, is that you and I, we keep going back to the things that do not satisfy, that do not fulfill us. We make poor choices. We go back to the temporary fleeting pleasure of money or power or sex or drugs or even relationships. There are things we keep going back to thinking if that, if I just had more of that, then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be satisfied. And God is saying, no, you will only be satisfied you will only be fulfilled if you come to me. But often, all too often, we try those temporary fixes. It's why C.S. Lewis' words ring so true. If I find in myself desires which cannot be met in this world, which this world cannot satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was meant for another world. You are meant for another world. If you would, would you please take your Bibles and would you open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's found on page 785 in the Bible that the church provides. It's in the rack in front of you. Please grab it. This morning, Jesus has specific words for you and for me. He has something to say to us about the universal experience of restlessness and longing. Remember, we all have it. We are all hungry and we are all thirsty. Matthew 5, verse 6. We're jumping back to the Beatitudes this morning. These Beatitudes are statements of identification instruction and blessing that Jesus gives to you and me. You see, if we are born again, we will demonstrate these characteristics in our lives and we will aspire to live more and more fully in these and through these characteristics. This morning, we're picking up with the fourth beatitude. That's because we've already addressed the previous three beatitudes. But in summary, let me just quickly run through them. The first beatitude is found in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus applauds us when we recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt before him. The second 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We are blessed when we are broken, hurting, and contrite. Number three, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We are blessed when we relinquish our rights and let God lead us. Now the fourth beatitude, and these are Jesus' words for us today. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Other translations say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's it. Satisfaction. This These words this morning are an incredible message of hope. Here is the answer to restlessness and longing. This is a message of hope for the believer. If you are a believer here, if you are following Jesus here this morning, this should be a message of great joy. And if you are not a believer here this morning, if you're just checking Jesus out and trying to figure out if he is for you, this is the answer to your search. He is the answer to restlessness and longing. Satisfaction is available, but it is only available through Jesus Christ. So let's break this down. We want to break this verse down so we understand what it means for you and for me today. First, we want to look and we want to understand what it means to hunger and to thirst. Into the original language, the original language, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. In that original language, the words that are translated into hunger and thirst are not used for someone who is casually hungry and casually thirsty. They refer to somebody who is starving for food and who is dying for a drink. This was a real reality in the day of Jesus, but it is hard for us to understand and to kind of come to terms with because what happens when we're hungry? If we're hungry, we go and open up our fridge and we take out a snack. And if we're thirsty, we pour ourselves a cup of water. But for the people that originally heard Jesus speak these words, hunger and thirst were a reality. They lived in a situation of scarcity with little food and difficulty finding water at times, little money, low incomes. They often had to walk through desert with little food and little opportunity for water. They knew the truth of this statement. They understood what Jesus was implying when he's asking for, when he's saying you're hunger and if you're thirsty. I shared with you last week that we had just returned from Israel. And when we were in Israel, we had the opportunity to spend some time in an area or territory that's referred to as the wilderness. The wilderness is mile after mile of barren, desolate, mountainous, desert terrain goes on and on forever. And as you walk and as you experience the heat and you look around you at the scarcity of the land, you realize what it would be like to experience hunger, how difficult it would have been to get water. There's not much food or water in the desert. You see, these people understood the physical reality of being hungry and being thirsty. But Jesus here isn't talking about physical hunger and thirst. 
He's talking about a spiritual hunger and thirst. It's a different kind of hunger and thirst. He's saying that you and I should want to be righteous as much as a starving person wants food. There is a desperation in this desire. A desperation in the desire. Now we need to do a bit of soul searching here. You and me, a bit of soul searching. Now I know most of you who are listening to me, you proclaim, you profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. You're here this morning and you're in church. You're here to worship him. You're here to hear from him. Some of you are watching online for the same reasons. You want to engage with Jesus. Many of you give faithfully to the ministry of Calvary Church and to other ministries. A lot of you come on Wednesday night to experience what happens on Wednesday night. Some of you are in small groups. Many of you go on mission trips. We identified four mission trips this morning where people are going to go to serve Jesus. Others of you have been on mission trips in the past and you're doing all these things to demonstrate that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to experience him, to know him better. But, but, what is it that you desire more than anything else? What is it that you want more than anything else? What is, is it money? Is it power? Is it drugs? Is it sex? What is it that you want, that you desire? What is it that drives your actions? What is it that fulfills your impulses? What is it that you want more than anything else? Rhetorically now, what is the thing that is in your mind? Because each one of you have something in your mind that you want more than anything else. What is it? What do you want more than anything else? If it's not God, that thing is an idol. One day a follower of Socrates came upon Socrates and he asked him, what must I do to acquire knowledge? Socrates was a 5th century B.C. philosopher. He is thought to be the father of Western philosophy. He has had great influence over the ages. Well, one day, one of his followers approaches him and he says, what must I do to acquire knowledge? Socrates says to the man, follow me. And he walks the man down to a river. And as they come to the river, Socrates says, follow me a little further. And they walk into the river, and they walk into the river up to waist-deep high water. At that point, Socrates grabs the man by the head and takes his head and pushes him in under the water and holds his head under the water. As you can imagine, the man began to struggle. The man began to fight to get up out of the water. And as the man struggled and as the man fought, Socrates kept the man's head underwater. 
eventually, after struggle and after fight, the man was able to break free from Socrates' hold. He comes up out of the water gasping. Socrates asks him, what is it when you thought you were drowning? What is it that you wanted more than anything else? What was that one thing you wanted? The man immediately exclaimed, I wanted air. Socrates wisely stated, when you want knowledge as much as you wanted air, you will acquire that knowledge. What is it that you want as much as you want air? What would you have said to Socrates? What would you have said to him? What would you have asked him? What is, what is the thing that you would have put into that blank? What is it that in your depths of your soul you want more than air? Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice that Jesus does not say that we should hunger and thirst for success or fame or recognition or personal pleasure or even something somewhat admirable like knowledge because Jesus knows that knowledge puffs up. He doesn't even say, listen closely, Jesus doesn't even say that we should hunger and search for satisfaction and fulfillment. He says that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. But this leads me to ask the question, what does Jesus mean by righteousness? Now, I think the best way for us to understand the term righteous this, this morning is to look at how Matthew uses the term there are two aspects that stand out, two definitions, if you will, of righteousness that apply to us this morning. The first aspect is a righteousness that comes as a free gift from God. The second is a righteousness that results from that free gift and consists in a way of living that is pleasing to God. To summarize, righteousness involves God's gift and God's demand. Righteousness involves God's gift and God's demand. Let's first look at righteousness as God's gift. Righteousness as God's gift. In other places in the Bible, this is referred to as justification. It's also spoken of as an imputed righteousness. It is a gift that God gives to you and to me. It is a gift that is freely given. Have you, do you know that the standard for heaven, the standard to get into heaven, is that you or I, we are to be absolutely pure and sinless? That is the standard for heaven because God is a holy God and God cannot reside in the presence of sin. So anyone that is in the presence of God needs to be absolutely pure and absolutely sinless, which poses a bit of a problem for you and for me. 
Because I don't know about you, but I am not absolutely pure, nor am I absolutely sinless. And there may be some of you sitting listening to me and you think, well, I'm pretty good. I think I make mostly right choices. Look what James says in James 2 verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is an incredibly high standard that God sets. You may think you are very good, but I am pretty sure you are breaking at least one commandment. And if you break one, it's as if you've broken them all. The standard is immensely high. It is so high that the disciples at one point ask, well, who then can be saved? They like recognize that this is an impossibility to reach this level, this standard. Heaven would be a place, it'd be a lo- Jesus can be the only person there. Fortunately, God makes a way. He provides a gift. He provides the gift in and through Jesus Christ. So what happens is, is God recognizes that none of us are absolutely pure, that none of us are absolutely sinless. And so he provides a solution in and through the gift of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ comes to down. He lives on earth. He lives a perfect and sinless life. He is then crucified on a cross. He's hung on a cross and all of our sin, all of your sin and all of my sin is placed upon Jesus Christ. He bears the weight of that sin. He goes to the grave. He dies as a result of the sin. But God, through resurrection power, raises him from the dead. And in that resurrection from the dead, Jesus declares victory over sin. The gift procures to you and to me when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge our sin, we seek forgiveness from Jesus, Jesus provides forgiveness, and here's where the gift comes into play. Jesus' righteousness is then imputed to you and to me, which means when God looks down from heaven at followers of Jesus Christ, he sees that we are white as snow, pure as driven snow. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is a gift that we receive when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the first aspect of righteousness. The second aspect of righteousness is the result that comes from putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The response to the gift is righteous living, good choices, godly choices, obedient choices, doing what Jesus instructs us to do. Jesus Christ is the creator. You and I are the created. Jesus Christ is the potter. You and I are the clay. What that means is you and I are to listen to the creator. We're to listen to the potter for our leading, for our guidance, and for our own good. We respond in obedience. And this is where we sometimes struggle, isn't it? Because sometimes we recognize the gift of salvation We recognize the gift of righteousness and we receive the gift of righteousness. We think to ourselves, well, hey, I'm all good. I'm in great shape. I've received the gift of righteousness. I am right with God. He looks at me and he sees the purity of Jesus Christ. I'm in good shape. And then we think to ourselves, well, then I can go do whatever I want to do. I can make whatever choice I want to take. I can, whatever it is. And Jesus is going to forgive me because I have the gift of righteousness. You see, but 
That's not the way it works. Because the gift leads us to respond with right living. And right living is a demonstration that we've actually received the gift of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't have the choice to make our own choices because we were bought and we were purchased at a price, which means that Jesus gets to make the choices for you and Jesus gets to make the choices for me. This is what right living means. I think it was Tim Keller who said, if you have a God who agrees with every one of your decisions, you are not worshiping the one true sovereign God. <laughs> you get it, don't you? You see, God was not made in our image. We were made in God's image. So we don't get to design our own God. We don't get to define righteousness. You see, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness as a gift from God. And we are to hunger and thirst for right living as a response to the gift that God has given us. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But now a little bit on how you do that. How do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but I want to give you a couple brief concepts. First concept, how do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Number one, you have to want it. You have to want it. You have to want it as much as you want air. It has to be the desire of your heart and the desire of your soul. This is the hunger and thirst aspect, and it has to be the thing that you want. Because what you want, you go after. And what you go after, you usually get. Because when you go after what you want with a passion, you usually get that thing. You have to want it. And number two, you have to go after it. You have to spend the time. There is no shortcut. There is no shortcut to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And there's four things. Number one, you have to pray. You have to actually have conversations with God. You have to spend time with God in conversation, talking to him and listening to what he has to say to you. You have to spend time praying. Number two, you have to spend time in God's word. You have to read the Bible. You have to study the Bible. You have to meditate upon the Bible. You need to spend time in God's word. Number three, you need to spend time serving. You need to spend time serving the Lord in whatever aspect of service or whatever area of service that he has called you to serve. That's because when you serve, you actually are spending time with God and you are spending time with other people as well, being the hands and feet of Jesus in that situation and circumstance. You have to pray. You have to be in the word. You have to serve. And then finally, you have to be in community with other followers of Jesus Christ. You have to be in some form of community with other followers of Jesus Christ because iron sharpens iron. You cannot do this thing of Christianity on your own. It is a community endeavor. It is a community process. We have church for that reason. We also have small groups and other interactions where we have to be built up by other followers of Jesus Christ. Did you catch the constant in each one of those four instructions? The constant was you need to spend time and the problem is, is that we often spend our time in other areas doing other things. 
And so if you want to hunger and pursue righteousness, if you want to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you need to set aside the time, which means you are going to have to stop doing certain things to do the things that God has called you to. This is not rocket science. But it takes conviction to pursue, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But the beautiful thing is that there is a promise there is a promise that comes from hungering and thirsting for righteous, bl righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The promise is, is that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. You will be satisfied. You will find fulfillment. The word here filled was originally used to describe the feeding of animals until they were so full that they could not eat anymore. It is the idea of being completely satiated. Have you ever felt filled to that point? And I don't mean by eating a meal. But have you felt filled to the point of being satiated because you have pursued Jesus Christ? You've been hungry and you've been thirsty for his righteousness. I want you to look at the satisfaction that comes from hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Look at the satisfaction that comes. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Secondly, the lions may grow weak and hungry. Do you think about this? The lions. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. Jesus has made you a promise. A promise he will keep. Jesus promises satisfaction and fulfillment. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, look at these verses, you will lack nothing. You will lack no good thing. You will be filled with good things. You will be filled with God's bounty, refreshed and satisfied. As we close this morning, I'd like to ask you one final question. Whose voice compels you? Whose voice compels you? You see, there is the voice of the world there's the voice of the world that is calling you. It's calling you to more money, more power, more sex, more drugs, personal pleasure. The voice of the world is calling you. And my concern is that you keep listening to the voice of the world. You keep thinking, if I just get a little more money, or a little more power. Or maybe it's just that next hit of that special drug or that next sexual experience. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I will be fulfilled. But it never works that way. The money, the power, the sex, the drugs only bring more pain and hurt. And the danger is, is that we just keep going back to them over and over again 
thinking that the next time it's going to be different. And it just gets more and more painful. And the anxiety grows. The discouragement grows. And the depression comes. Because we listen to the wrong voice. There is another voice. God's voice is completely different. And it offers true satisfaction and fulfillment. Earlier I read a verse from Isaiah 55. But I'd like to show you the complete context of where that verse came from because there is an invitation in this passage. Listen to these words. And I'd like you to listen to them personally. Not for a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad or a child, a friend or a neighbor. This is an invitation to you. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. God is inviting you to come to the banquet of righteousness and all you have to come with is an appetite. All you want have to do is to eat what God is offering to you. He says, come to the thirsty, come to those are hungry and I will give you satisfaction and I will give you fulfillment. I will give you life. Later on in Jesus' journey, after he had delivered the Sermon on the Mount, he went and he was before a large crowd of about 5,000 people, and they were hungry and they were in need of food. And so Jesus says to his disciples, well, we got to feed these people. And they say, hey, there's no food to be found. And Jesus says, hey, bring me those two fish and those five loaves of bread. And he feeds 5,000 people. Could you imagine being there that day? He goes from... Uh, that miracle, he goes to another one and he walks on water and he dis demonstrates to his disciples the miraculous nature of his being. He feeds 5,000, he walks on water. There's these two incredible miracles and after he completes the miracles, he goes off and he goes by himself and he wants to be alone for a bit. But the people, the people are hungry and the people are thirsty and they're thinking, I have to get to Jesus because I need what he has to offer. They eventually find Jesus, and Jesus says these words to them. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Are you hungry and are you thirsty this morning? Are you restless? Are you longing for more? Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one who can quench your thirst. I pray this morning that you will be compelled by the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are those 
who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you have brought us into this place this morning to hear your very words. And Lord, I thank you that you love us enough that you have shared these truths with us. Lord, there are many of us who are hungry and are thirsty. We are looking for satisfaction and fulfillment. Some have searched for satisfaction and fulfillment in other areas. Lord, I pray this morning that they would hear your voice and that they would come to the table to experience your righteousness, to live in your righteousness, and to be filled with your satisfaction and fulfillment. Jesus, I pray that you would mold and shape each one of us into more devoted followers of yours. Help us to love you. Help us to serve you. Lord, we pray that you would be present in our lives doing what only you can do because, Jesus, we recognize that we need you. We pray this in your name. Amen.